Good morning, Anthem Church. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege this morning to get to to bring God's Word to us. And so, uh, if you will, stand with me now for the reading of God's Word. It'll be on the screen. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll read verse 28, and then we'll jump ahead just a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. But let's hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And a couple chapters later, a lot has changed. In verse 17, the Lord said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For your dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning. Lord, so thankful that you've gifted us with God, your very words to us, that we might hear clearly from you. God, I pray that your spirit would be at work now in our midst, God, that you would speak through me, that I would not say your words this morning, but I would preach and proclaim with clarity what your word says to us. God, I pray that we would, we would be transformed as we, we think about the stewardship of our work, God. I pray that you would help us to, um, Lord, recognize um, Lord, the ways in which we're faithless and way, the ways that you call us to be more faithful in following after you in this area of our lives, God. I pray you would just lead us to, to, to know, love, and obey you more and more as a result of our time together this morning. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we've talked about all kinds of stewardship throughout the summer, whether it's education or recreation or family life. We've talked about a ton of different subjects and aspects of our lives, and yet we've not touched on one yet that we invest so much of our time and energy in, and it's work. In this room alone, we have such a wide variety of relationships with work. Students that are in this room... You're preparing for work that you hope to do one day. Well, also, maybe some of you are working just to get by, to pay the bills and just keep going through school, and you're working jobs that you hope to leave behind one day. Others, you're, you're still, while you're in college, still searching. Maybe you're changing majors, and you don't know what kind of work you want to do over the long haul. Young professionals in here, you're, you're finally getting rolling in the career that you've prepared for through college or through technical school or whatever it may have been. And for some, it's great. Like, you feel like you're really hitting your sweet spot, but others of you are like going, oh no, did I make a terrible decision about my career? Others of you are like in your long term career and you are like feeling maybe a sweet spot in that. Um, others of you are um, simply working whatever job you can to provide for your family. Or maybe you're in one of those transition seasons when it comes to your relationship with work. Maybe you've transitioned to a season of working in the home, caring for kids. And so others of you are entering into retirement. And you're learning a whole new relationship with work. No matter the season that you're in, no matter the current work you do or one day hope to do, we've got to take care to steward our relationship with work, to steward how we approach work, our jobs, our careers, our vocation. Now, we often in, in Christian circles tend to uh, discuss work with kind of this high-pressure intensity, um, particularly you guys that are in college probably feel it more than the rest of us, of like, what exactly is God calling me um, to over the long haul? Like, what is he calling me to as a unique individual? And this weight, like, as you're searching and trying to figure that out, which, and that's a good thing, the weight of that, though, it can be crushing. 
and you can be crushing to college students, you can be crushing to those in the middle of like transition seasons, whether it's like a midlife crisis or, or maybe you've, you've lost a job and, and you're wondering like, what's next? Am I, am I done in what I thought was my calling? Maybe you're, who knows what you're going through in this season in relation to that. But it can often be this high pressure thing to try to figure it out. And wrestling with that unique long-term calling from God isn't unimportant. It's really, it is a vital thing that we should do because God has uniquely gifted you with abilities and talents. He's uniquely positioned you in, in time and space, and he's given you family background that contributes to those things. And all of this comes to bear on what does God have for you as a unique individual? And we want to provide you with a resource to, to really unpack that issue, and you'll get that in the weekly email this week, um, an article by Tim Keller that'll help you really begin to, to think and wrestle through that if that's something that you're in a season of wrestling with right now. But sometimes that conversation can actually remove us from kind of the here and now, from the work that God wants you to do in tw- 2023, from the relevance of our efforts tomorrow on Monday morning, not just someday far off. And so we're going to provide you with that resource to wrestle with your unique call in the weekly email, but, but today we're actually going to zoom out and consider a biblical approach to work no matter whether you've found that sweet spot of your calling over the long haul or whether you're grinding it out, kind of still searching or, and just doing a job to simply pay the bills. All right, and so we're going to kind of zoom out and think about work in, in this way this morning. How do we steward it in the here and now, no matter what season you find yourself in? Recently for me, I've, I've done a good bit of reflecting on my family heritage, especially when it comes to work. So back in late May, my granddad passed away. Um, my mom's dad, my, my dad's dad passed away several years ago, and so um, my only granddad left, he passed away in May, and, and it was sobering on, on many levels for me. Um, it's really the best word that I could describe it. I was not really particularly close to my granddad uh, for a variety of reasons, um, but it was really, really sobering, taking a quick, like, 24-hour trip down to Texas for his funeral. It's sobering in part because, like, when I saw his high school graduation picture, and if you put my high school graduation picture, it's like we're twins, okay? His was in black and white, and mine's not, but, like, we look like the same exact person. And so that's a little weird in and of itself. But then it also, like, just was told over and over again, like, our personalities are driven, kind of achiever-oriented personalities were, were compared um, over and over. And, uh, and so just reflecting on him and his life was... A sobering thing, in particular because he left quite a legacy through his work. I mean, like, a massive legacy. But it was also really complicated. See, my granddad um, was called, uh, in Time Magazine article, uh, the Sam Walton of Asia. Um, because my granddad uh, took a team of two people with him over to China and started Walmart in Asia um, and Sam's Clubs over there. And, um, and he catalyzed massive change through that, all right? Like, there, there weren't things like Walmart uh, before he took it over there. There was no, like, even, like, hint of capitalism whatsoever until he got in, involved in that. And, and he, he had the opportunity to, like, catalyze massive change for people for their good. Like previously food was like you went food, you went to a wet market where food was just like laying out and they chopped it up and they gave it to you right there. Like Walmart took sanitation and health to a whole new level. You don't normally think of Walmart in that way, but that's what it was for China. And as I got to hear about these things that he worked, that that he brought about so much good for so many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, I got to hear from his coworkers about how not only did he do that, but, but man, he, he was a man of integrity. That, that, like, he worked like crazy, and, and he called his employees to work like crazy, but, but he also protected them and valued them and stood up for them in a way that you often don't see. And so he left this incredible legacy in the business world. And yet, talking to one of his children... Reflecting on all that, we got to a point in the conversation, though, where he said, yeah, but he loved China more than us. 
See, for my granddad, his relationship with work, as amazing as his accomplishments were, his work became his deity. His work became his deity. It became his identity that he wrapped himself up in all that he could accomplish, trying to accomplish more and more. And, and, and much of that, there was good things that came from that, okay? That's not to take away from the good, amazing things that my granddad took part in. But he allowed his work to become his identity. He allowed his work to be the way that he could find independence from the, the poverty that he grew up in. And he was dirt poor. And he worked all his life to try to escape and to ensure that he and his family would never have to deal with those kinds of things again. But as a result, work became his deity. Now, on the other hand, my dad's a contrast with that. My dad is one of the hardest working people I know. He is no more than a high school diploma, and yet he has consistently been valued and promoted in the work that he has gotten to do over and over again, despite not having anything more than a high school diploma. And he instilled a hard work ethic within me early on, just purely by his example, but also never got the impression that his work brought a great deal of delight to him, other than the fact that it provided for our family. Didn't see that it brought a great deal of purpose to him, other than he knew that this was his duty that he needed to do in order to care for his family, in order to provide for us, which is, once again, there's value in that, there's beauty in that, and yet it's just not the whole picture of what work's meant to be. Work itself was a duty, a grind, a means to an end. And as for me, like in thinking about the way that's impacted me, both of those poles of, of work as duty and work as deity, I, like I swing to either end of these poles, right? And maybe you can relate to that. Like sometimes like uh, it becomes mere duty on those days in which our work is, is full of frustration and futility and it feels like we're not accomplishing anything that we actually hope we're accomplishing. And other days when things are going really well, like I am tempted and even succumb to letting work become deity, where I let it become my identity and I'm wrapped up and, and feeling good about myself and the name that I'm getting for the work that I'm doing. But work was never meant to be duty or deity. Like work is meant to be more than duty and less than deity. That's the reality. That's what we see here in Genesis, and as we take a zoomed-out picture across the whole of Scripture, work is instead meant to be a delight. Work's meant to be more than duty in that it's meant to be a delight, but it's not meant to be our deity. And so the question for you this morning is, is your work duty, deity, or delight? What we'll unpack through scripture is how to steward work as a delight. And so here's the big idea this morning, that work is a gift from God for his glory and for our good. The big idea this morning is work is a gift from God for his glory and our good, and we're to steward work in a way that makes it a delight, not just a mere duty and certainly not our deity. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and let's unpack this first off, that work is meant to be a delight. God designed work as a gift for us. In verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. God blessed them. All right, and when you think of blessings, all right, maybe you think of, of blessing as like uh, something that you just say when uh, someone sneezes next to you, God bless you. All right, or maybe you think of blessing as kind of that like backhanded way to say you pity someone, like, oh, bless their heart. All right, I grew up in the South, like that's heard that all the time, all right? Um, and you knew you didn't actually want to hear that <laughs> directed towards you. But that's not the picture of blessing here in Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them. It's a pouring out of a gift towards people, all right? When God blesses someone, it's a pouring out of a gift. And, and you might expect like, okay, God blesses them with provision. God blesses them with all these good things. And yet, I think it's a little surprising that the thing that it turns to next, is what God blesses us with is work. Most of you are like, what? That doesn't make any sense, right? That sounds really strange to our ears. But, but God's blessing in the rest of verse 28 is him unpacking what that blessing that he's giving to us is, and it's work. And God does that in such a way, this idea of God blessing us is the pouring out of a joyful gift. It's like, a, it's like congratulating us 
All right, that, that you get to take part in something bigger than yourself. It's giving an honor. It's bestowing an honor upon someone. And so what we see here is that God is bestowing the honor upon us, the delight on us, the joyful gift for us of work. That work is not intended to simply be a have to, but it's a get to when it's oriented in the right way. So how is work a blessing? We see it here as we unpack the rest of verse 28. God blesses us through work in that, one, it's an honor. It's an honor. God provides us with the opportunity to join him in his work that he's doing in the midst of all of this creation. All right, that he's about to rest on the seventh day for him, but, but he's going to continue. He, he's creating all of this, all right, and then he's honoring us by inviting us into the, the, the fulfillment of and the, the continued care of his creation. It's an honor that we get to join him in that, and that's, that's a, it truly is a joyful gift. All right, if you don't think it is, then just think about this for a second. Like my kids, um, we were going to go camping um, a, a few weeks ago. We've been trying to check all these things off the bucket list before baby number four gets here in like a week and a half. So um, we got back and we've got uh, camping is on the to-do list and I'm just exhausted from our trips this summer. And so guys, we camped in the backyard. I know that's not real camping, but for my boys, it was awesome. Okay. Um, and I got to sleep with electricity and a fan on me. So, um, but the beauty was as we like as we got prepared to camp. All right, we got out there and like I was like, man, I'm gonna have to put this whole tent up. Like it's gonna take forever. I'm always like always forget something and then have to undo it and start over again. Um, and um, and so I was kind of like dreading the work that it takes to get ready to camp. But like as I invited my boys to join me in that, like they jumped up and down with joy as they got to take part in building this tent with me. Right because. It's an honor that they get to do something that on their own they couldn't do by themselves. But they get to join with me as their dad in, in building something that we're going to enjoy then together. And that's the honor of what God invites us into when, we get to, when he blesses us with work. Is we're joining not just like our, our, our physical father, but our, our heavenly father, the creator of the universe, in the work that he's doing in all of the universe, for all time, across all history, we get to be a part of that for his glory and for the good of others. We get to join God in his work. What an honor. But it's not only a blessing because it's an honor, but it's also a blessing because it gives us purpose. It gives us purpose. Like We are meaning-making creatures. We need meaning. That's the way God's wired us that we need purpose. And so we search for it all over the place, right? But God gave us purpose from the very beginning. God provides us meaning in this blessing through work. He provides a purpose that can last because it's a part of his grand eternal narrative that he's writing. And he gives us power to make a difference. To make a difference. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and so on. God gives us the power to work with him to develop his community and his creation. And we get to take part in his purposes to continue developing. Like, like when God created everything, yes, it was good, but God wanted to see the Garden of Eden spread to the ends of the earth. God wanted to see his glory spread to the ends of the earth. So, so he created us as image bearers so that we might multiply and fill the earth and take his glory all over the planet. So that, that he might be represented, so that his goodness might spread. Because he didn't completely finish his creation. He invited us in to continue to tease that out. And so we get to display God's glory and goodness, and we get to develop God's community and creation. We, we display God's glory and goodness in that we're image bearers. That's verse 27, and talking about this idea that, that that's part of our purpose. Just intrinsically in who we are, we're intended to reflect him to the world around us. We're intended to do good for others and the creation that we have been entrusted with. But then we also get to develop God's community. I mean, that's the, that's the work of being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth. Building families, building society, building human institutions. And community. We get to develop that. 
but then we also get to develop his creation, subduing it. This idea of subdue here in verse 28 is, is to take something that, that's maybe wild and a little bit of out of control, and we get to bring order to it. Not everything in earth, though it was all good, was this perfect little manicured garden. No, God gave us that task to, to actually bring order to the rest of creation. And so we get to develop God's creation, subduing it, ruling over it, having dominion over all of his creation. It's an honor and it's a purposeful honor that our work takes part in, that every one of us get to take part in through our work. And that's where we can find delight, is that this work is a blessing. It's intended to be a blessing for us. But the problem is, is that That's not often how we experience work, right? As we've already talked about, a couple of distortions of work. I want to unpack those and, and, and how that came to be. All right, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall and sin enters into the world in which we decide we want to go our own way. We want to do this ourselves. We want to find our own purpose. We want to define our terms of life and work in this world. And so sin, though, ends up distorting God's gift of work for us. In verses three, or chapter 3, 17 through 19, we see work becomes duty as a result of sin. It's no longer a delight, but it's duty. As a result, sin breaks down the joy of work, and it becomes duty rather than delight. One, because it, it makes work frustrating. Verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Our work becomes frustrating. Work is going, what God is saying, because of sin, because you're trying to do this work on your own, it's going to be painful and difficult. Not to say it didn't require effort before the fall, but, but now it's full of pain and tears, disappointments and distress. There's injuries at work, right? Very literal pain to our physical bodies, but then there's also failures. There's suffering under poor leadership, right? I mean, how many of us have a boss like that? I don't. Thankfully, my boss is awesome. But hope, like some of you probably have a boss or leadership in somewhere in your company that you experience some suffering under. We often make sacrifices for our work that maybe don't pay off in the way we thought they would. Work becomes frustrating as a, as a result, and, and so it's a duty rather than a delight. But not only that, it also becomes futile. Verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring up for you. Essentially, like instead of the fruit that your 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 like work in the garden should produce, it's going to produce things that bring pain, and it's gonna it's gonna actually lack a lot of the fruit that you would hope for. It doesn't mean it's going to be completely futile. It says, "And you shall eat the plants of the field." There will be results you can celebrate. It's not as futile as it could be, but it is futile at times. Work is never going to produce all that we see long to see it produce. See, the fruit of our labors will fall way short of our expectations. This is part of why work becomes a duty, because it's not all that we hope for it to be. I experience this. Uh, maybe you can relate to this. I, I, I feel so often um, that, that I, I set great intentions for my day or for my week. I have it in my planner, and I set out all my plans, and um, I always overestimate what I can accomplish. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one? Like overestimating what you can accomplish. And as a result, like I'm left discouraged at the end of many workdays, frustrated with this lingering to-do list. Like what do I do with it? It's not producing what I'm hoping it's producing. And, and some of us may feel this way whether our job is making a difference or not because of what's happened in light of our sin. Work becomes a duty. All right, it's frustrating, it's futile, and lastly, it's, it's fading. Like our work is intended to make a lasting impact, but the reality is, as verse 19 says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. We were not meant to return to dust, but we will because of sin. And work is going to be hard, and the reality is it's not going to last. You're returning to dust. The author of, in the book of Ecclesiastes says this, 
started in verse 18. He says, I hated all the toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation." Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. I know that's a super cheery passage, right? <laughs> but, but it's wrestling with the reality that work becomes a duty, that it becomes futile and fading, that, that no matter how great our work is, no matter how much we invest in our work, we will fade into irrelevance. Each and every one of us. Our work and our labors, the results of those things, will be enjoyed by others with no regard for us. Look, we should not be surprised when work feels like duty because we still live under the curse. We still live in this reality. But as we'll see shortly, there is hope. All right, we're not going to stay in the pit of Ecclesiastes. There is hope for finding delight in our work again, but we'll get there in a moment because I want to also address work as deity. All right, work is duty because of the curse of our sin, but work is another way that our sin plays out in relation to our work is it becomes our deity. And we see this later in the book of Genesis in the story that some of you may know as the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, kind of the end of the first section of the book of Genesis ends with this and how, like, while we deal with the curse, humanity then takes God's original purpose for our work and distorts it by making it deity. In the Tower of Babel, we're not going to do the whole story, but the first four verses say this. Now, the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. They were, like, they were taking dominion. They were subduing the earth. They were, they were living out part of what God had for them to do in that like, they were making new technologies. This is a beautiful part of what we as human beings, as image bearers of God, are intended to do with our work. But it says this in verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, while they were working in a way that could have been honoring to God, Ultimately, they were finding their hope in their work. That last part of verse 4 there, their hope was found in the work we do and, and the work they were doing. Their work was becoming their God instead of just a gift to be enjoyed. See, work becomes deity when we recognize that it's meaningful to the point that it becomes all of our meaning in our life. It becomes not just a means to an end, but it becomes the end itself. See, we see them embrace work as deity in two ways. One, as their identity. They say that they want to make a name for themselves. Our work was never meant to make a name for us. It was meant to make a name for God, for his glory, for his greatness and his goodness. But they were working to make a name for themselves. And when our work turns inward like that towards our glory rather than God, it be it's become our deity. And our identity becomes wrapped up in our achievements our impact, our success. And look, that may be exhilarating for a season, right? When things are going well, when you feel like you're in that sweet spot and you're running your lane, but ultimately that weight of having to accomplish more and more, you'll never be satisfied with it, and that weight will come crushing down on top of you. When we have to create our own identity through our work, it's always a fragile thing that we just don't have the strength to maintain. Not only does work become our deity when we try to make it our identity, but it also is it's when, we, when we try, as, as my granddad did, to, to escape poverty, to escape, to, to be able to essentially have independence through our work. 
like true, total independence from others and from God. And that's what they're getting at when they say, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. To have, they were going to have to face danger and, and a lack of, of known provision if they ventured out. The purpose was for God, for them to fill the earth, but they said, no, let us stay here where we know we have our needs met. Rather than relying on God, we're going to rely on ourselves. Work becomes deity when it's a means for cultivating independence in our lives. When work becomes hope of never facing need in our lives. When work becomes our provider with no need to rely on everyone else, including God. But again, that's a crushing weight. Like that's a weight that we're not meant to carry, that we're not capable of carrying. Our work was never intended to make us independent. And as a result, that independence is always fragile. It can come crashing down at a moment's notice, whether it's unexpected bills that are beyond what our salary is capable of carrying, or it's a loss of a job, a, a, a difficult economic downturn that leaves many people, and us in particular, without jobs and ability to provide for ourselves. Work as deity is not reliable, and work as duty is drudgery. But there is hope. There is incredible hope, because God's not satisfied with leaving it there. We see the redemption of work through Jesus Christ. We see the redemption of work through Jesus Christ. See, our hope can't be in our work. It must be in the work of Christ. See, Jesus overcomes the curse of our work. He overcomes the curse of our work in that Jesus does the work that we can't do. Sin left us spiritually dead, apart from God, searching for identity and meaning on our own. And as a result, some of us throw off work to find meaning and pleasure that we can squeeze out of life. Some of us try to, to work our way back to God by building an identity of good, hard-working person. And some of us try to work our way to significance in building an identity of success, a name, a reputation that lasts, a, an impact, or an independence. All the things we've talked about. Sin has left us in those things, but none of these leave us satisfied. None of these give us a, an identity that, can be, that can't be threatened or lost at a moment's notice. Jesus takes on the curses for our sin, though. He takes on our failures in our work. He redeems us without any reliance on our work or our ability. Ephesians 2, 8-9 through 9, captures this so well in which it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Look, when we turn from trusting in our work to bring us life, and we turn to trust in Jesus' work for us, and his life that he lived, and the work that he did on the cross by, by dying there, taking on our punishment, living the perfect life that earned God's favor, and that he willingly offers to us by dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and he offers it to us not by, hey, measure up and then I'll give it to you. It's not a paycheck. It's grace. It's not wages. It's grace. He says, work is not your means to provide for yourself, but work, let me do the work for you, he says. And this is the first way, this is the way our work begins to get redeemed is that first and foremost, we need to be back into relationship with God. Jesus saves us from our sins so that we can have a relationship with God and a right relationship with the work that he calls us to. See, through the good news of the gospel, Jesus gives us an identity as a beloved child of God that doesn't come and go with our performance. He restores us to God the Father who we can depend on as our provider, even when work is not dependable. He brings us back into the presence of God so our work can be reinvigorated with the blessing of God and that the curse of God can be defeated. See, we can delight in work truly because we get to join God once again in the work that he's doing through all time. Because of sin, we've been separated from that purpose and that plan. But Jesus makes a way for us to have meaning, to have purpose, to step back into that honorable relationship with God, not by our own doing, but by his. And we can learn to delight once again in God's work that he's gifted to us. In the here and now. And on top of all that, 
We get to invest in a work that has lasting impact. See, in popular Christian thought, heaven is the goal. Like this disembodied state where we like get to lay around and do nothing for the rest of the time. We just get to the leisure and, and you know, there's a popular Christian song, like uh, for most of you, like probably before you were born at this point, I guess, but um, by Audio Adrenaline, maybe some of you recognize it, like God's big house, right, with lots and lots of room where we get to play football and all this sort of stuff, right? And I'm not saying there won't be great, enjoyable things to be had in heaven, all right? There won't be enjoyable things in, in one life after death when Jesus returns. But the reality is, is like, it's not about some like, life of leisure with God for all of eternity and disembodied state. See, if we jump to the very end of the story, what we see in Revelation chapter 21 is this, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be crying, nor pain, nor mourning anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus is making all things new, including he's restoring our work. He's not releasing us from work. He's bringing a new earth that will live in bodies, glorious bodies, with, with renewed purpose, in an even greater way than what we would have prior to the fall. He's restoring our work fully not releasing us from work. The end goal is not just to, to work for the day that we don't have to work anymore. But it's to, to work in a way that delights in the God who made us and gave us purpose. Jesus' end goal is to restore creation to an even more glorious state than it was at first. And so we get to join him in once again delighting in the work he calls us to. But how do we do that? How do we take part in that? We've got to reorient our perspective on work, and we've got to, like, we've got to practice that reorientation day in and day out. And so here's how we begin to reorient our work so that we can delight in it, so that it won't just be a duty anymore, so that it won't just be drudgery, and, or that it also won't be deity, that it will come crushing us. Instead, let's reorient our work because our joy can be recovered in the work we do right here, right now. That's not to say that there's not going to be pain, all right? Like, yes, Jesus overcame the curse, and, and yet we live in an already not yet time, right? Like, like, we have the promises of Jesus, and we get to experience some of those blessings, but it's not yet fully here, all right? We're not yet fully in the new heavens and new earth where it's pure delight. We're still going to face some of the hardships of the curse, but our joy can be through the good news of the gospel, recovered in the work we do. And Tim Keller writes this, he says, to help reorient our work, he says, as an extension of God's creative work, the Christian's labor has its orientation towards God himself. And we must ask, how can it be done distinctively and for his glory? And then he says, as an extension of God's providential work, so his sustaining and ongoing care, our labor has its orientation towards our neighbor. And we've got to ask, how can it be done excellently and for his or her good? And so there's two aspects to reorienting our work so that we can delight in it. One, it's got to be work for the glory of God. It's got to be work for the glory of God above all else. And Colossians 3, 17 captures this well when it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We work for the glory of God by doing everything in the name of Jesus. What's that mean? That means carrying ourselves in a way that represents Jesus, that reflects his character, in other words. And so we work the way that Jesus worked for us. And in many of the ways that are mentioned up in verse 12, the things that God calls us to put on in that passage, starting with love. We work by rep like reflecting the love of Christ in our work. So we, we love, we, we put ourselves in the shoes of those our work is meant to serve. Even if they're 
that belligerent customer that is berating you over some seemingly insignificant detail. We seek to understand where they're coming from, like Jesus did for us. We have patience with that person or that frustrating coworker. We serve and sacrifice those we engage, not because they deserve it. We didn't deserve Jesus' service and his sacrifice. But we serve and sacrifice for others through the work that we do because they're image bearers of God and they have dignity and value, each and every person that you encounter. And so we love, we do our work with love, we do our work with humility, we give God the credit because it's only by his ability and his strength that we can do this. We give others credit where they deserve. We don't take the credit for ourselves because we're not trying to build a name for ourselves, but rather we put on humility. And then we also, we put on meekness. Meekness, it's mentioned in in, uh, verse 12 up above, is one of the things we're called to put on in Christ, one of the ways we reflect him. Because Jesus, meekness, we think of like timid, like cowardly, but that's not what meekness is. It would never describe Jesus, right? Jesus was meek, though. Meekness is power under control. Jesus was meek because he was the all-powerful God of the universe, controlling that power for the good of others. Meekness is using your power and your position in your work for the good of others. My grandfather, I got to, I told stories of how he did this and that though he was kind of um, top dog in many of the meetings that he, he still had a few superiors and he would enter into some of those meetings and, and some of those superiors would begin to, to, um, to come down hard on some of his direct reports. And each and every time they said, he would stand up, he would take the blame himself, And then he would address the challenges with his team later. He took it on himself. He used his power and position to protect and to help others. That's what meekness is. And so we reflect that in our work. We also reflect it through forgiveness. Because at work, in this world, you're going to be wronged. You're going to get hurt. Like people are going to backstab you, they're going to betray you, they're going to talk bad about you, they're they're not going to follow through sometimes even when they, they mean to. And you're going to have to have a heart of forgiveness, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus forgave you far more than you are ever called to forgive other people. And so we forgive as Jesus forgives us. We should expect to forgive and we should extend it abundantly to those around us. And so we, we give glory to God by reflecting his character in our work, but we also serve him wholeheartedly. If we jump down to Colossians 3 verse 23, it says, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. Like No matter who your boss is on this planet, your true king is Jesus. And so you serve him wholeheartedly. The idea is your whole being. Look, your boss may very well not deserve wholehearted investment of your work. In fact, they probably don't, no matter how good they are. But he or she is not the one you're actually serving in whatever task you're called to do. Every day you show up to work is an opportunity to participate in God's creative work and actually serve his purposes. And so bring your best to the job. Bring your whole mind, your whole heart, your your whole obedience, your whole body, all your effort. Do what you do with excellence, with passion, with wisdom, and as much effort as possible because you get to serve the king of the universe. You get to serve with him in the work that you're doing. And so evaluate your heart. Are you serving him wholeheartedly in the work that you do? Evaluate your heart by like, asking yourself, do you work differently when the boss is around than when he isn't? Do you cut corners and lack integrity because your boss demands it? Do you just get through the day working for a paycheck and the weekend? Do you seek to grow in your understanding and ability to do your job so that you can do it with excellence and competence? Not because your company deserves it, not because your boss deserves it, but because your king deserves it. So we've got to reorient our work to serve him wholeheartedly, to bring him glory and reflect his character in our lives. But we've also got to reorient our work around one of God's key purposes for us, which is working for the good of others. The end of that passage in Ephesians that we referred to earlier is Ephesians 2.10, and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works, when it's referenced, 
in that way in Scripture is a reference to, to loving others, to working for the good of our neighbor, loving them in the way that Christ loved us. And so we've got to reorient our work around how we work for the good of others. Some of our jobs serve people directly. All right, maybe you're a customer service person, maybe you work in um, the food service industry, maybe um, you, you work in a whole host of things where you work one-on-one with people, maybe it's counseling or something like that, but you interact with people directly. You have an opportunity every day to serve people like Christ served you. But maybe you serve people indirectly. Like, like some of us um, work on building institutions, or maybe you're building technology, or you're, you're an engineer, and you're, you're, you're creating plans for buildings and things like that. Or, or maybe you're like a, a garbage man, and you're cleaning up garbage um, and, and taking up garbage around the city. Like all of those serve people indirectly. You may not encounter a person that you're individually serving, but you're serving them indirectly by, by building up and developing God's creation and maintaining order. You're serving people indirectly. But then we also have an opportunity in our work to serve people eternally. We serve people eternally by witnessing to the good news of the gospel and with our coworkers and with those we encounter on a regular basis. This isn't the only end of the work that we do. You're not just at your job to be like a gospel-sharing machine. Now, I hope that we're all gospel-sharing machines, but that's not the only reason that we're at work. But it is a reason, and an important reason, and an eternal reason. is to serve people eternally by being a witness to the gospel. So, we reorient our work around these two things, the glory of God and the good of others. And as we begin to do that, we'll find delight in it. When we stop turning inward to oriented towards our identity and our purposes and our independence and, and the hopes that we can gain on our own, and we orient ourselves back out towards the purposes that God gave to us, then we begin to find delight in those things once again. I want to give you like three really practical steps, though, to cultivate that reorientation, to, to, to lead your heart toward, to be reoriented in that way. First off, Consider your opportunities. Take some time this week to consider the kinds of opportunities you have to participate in the work that God has called you to do, all right, to participate in work with him, all right? So consider your opportunities. One, you've got to be realistic in this, all right? We still experience the effects of the fall and the curse, all right? So like while we may overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term, we can only underestimate what God will accomplish with and through us in the long term. And so we should be realistic about what we can do, but also like be intentional about working with God in a variety of ways. And there's, there's a list of, of things. You may just want to take a picture of this list that'll come up on the screen here of questions that Tim Keller um, provides you to think through. This is a way to be intentional in considering your opportunities. Be intentional in, in, in orienting yourselves towards the work that God has for you. So ask yourselves, what opportunities are there in my profession for serving individual people, for serving society at large, for serving your field of work, for modeling competence and excellence, and for witnessing to Christ? Every job has an opportunity to participate in at least a few of these things. So take time to consider so that you can be more intentional in doing those things and contributing to that. But it takes intentionality, and it may take some significant thought. You may be like, I don't know how my job really participates in that much. But as you do this, as you consider these things, you're going to find greater purpose. And in that greater purpose, you're going to enjoy the honor of stepping into working with God in his work, and you'll begin to cultivate delight rather than duty in your work. So consider your opportunities. And number two, connect with others. All right, working for the glory of God and the good of others in your unique field can be challenging in a variety of different ways that's unique to whatever field you're in. And so I just want to encourage you, connect with other people that are doing the same kind of work as you. And have discussions around, like, what's it look like to do this work in a distinctively Christian way? In a way that honors God, in a way that, that reflects His character, in a way that serves wholeheartedly, in a way that, that, that works for the good of others. Have a group of people that are in these kind of work, in the similar kind of work as you, that, that have the same values as you, so that you can wrestle with the difficult ethical questions that come up. When your boss asks you to do something, you're like, I, like, like 
I don't know, like, sh is that valid or, or, or do I need to say no to that? And so I encourage you to connect with others in your field. There's a ton of people in different vocations in our church, but there's also a greater community of Christians across the city that you can do that with. So consider your opportunities, connect with others, and lastly, consecrate your work before the Lord. Consecrate your work before the Lord. And that's a big fancy word for like, set it apart for God each and every day. Like, give it to him. When you wake up in the morning, before you go into work, pray over your day, asking God to use it for his glory and others' good. Give it to him. Acknowledge your need of him. Acknowledge the fact that, that you get to join God in work. All right, set it apart. Have that time, that moment at the least. Make a commitment right now today that you, this week you're going to give two minutes to consecrating your work to the Lord in prayer before you start that work each day. Consecrate your work before the Lord. All of these three things will help you to reorient your work to a delight in God rather than to duty or deity elsewhere. Church, may we learn to embrace the gift of work as a way to delight in our God who works. May we do it all for his glory because he is worthy like he is worthy as the song that we sang earlier. He is worthy of every ounce of our being, especially our work. And may we consecrate our work before the Lord together now in these final moments this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning just so grateful for the good news that work doesn't have to be a grind. It doesn't have to be mere drudgery, but it can be delight in you, God. May we steward work in our lives that you've entrusted to us for your glory and others' good. May we find delight and purpose, hope and joy in joining you in the work that you've blessed us with, God. May we be a people that, that work in distinct ways as salt and light in this world so that others might be attracted to you and they might experience your goodness and your grace in new ways through our work, God. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.